Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And we definitely have an inspiring story tonight because I am joined by actor and self-taught filmmaker, Bo Roberts. And it just shows that if you have the determination and you put your mind to it, you can do what it takes to be successful. Bo, on the heels of his 17 short films in 2021, took the opportunity to make a feature film called The Great Awakening, which was acquired by Film Hub and is on multiple streaming platforms. So we're going to be talking to him about how he got into film and anything else he wants to discuss about his film. So, Bo, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Curtis. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. So... Hi, everybody. I am Bill Roberts. I initially grew up in the Midwest in Indiana. And in Indiana, I uh, got into psychology at a pretty early age. In seventh grade, I came across the BSM, which is essentially the Encyclopedia of Mental Disorders. And just reading about, you know, kind of what makes people tick, why they do what they do, and overall human interaction, you know, it's, it's always been of, of interest to me. And then seventh grade, you know, I was uh, properly exposed to, you know, the field of psychology whenever I found that book. That led me into majoring in uh, psychology when I was in, in school. And then um, looking back on my life, psychology really has a big influence on everything to where I had a career in law enforcement for about three and a half years. And at the time, I took a lot of honor and, you know, serve and protect and stuff like that. But looking back now, I appreciate all of the interactions I had, good, bad, funny, depressing, just everything. Law enforcement was ground zero of the human emotions for me. So we fast forward going from that lifestyle to working as a print model. And uh, yeah, that, that was a much different type of person that I began meeting going to castings and hanging out with, you know, clients and casting directors and models and, you know, that, that entire world, it was just <laughs> a very black and white type of uh, uh, scenario. Once I got into acting, psychology came back as, you know, I, I found it to be very self-reflective and Stanislavski is the technique I use, which is pulling on my actual memories of my life and connecting it to the character and, and the script in a meaningful way. Uh, so for me now, uh, creating by means of being a writer, a story creator and director, yeah, the more I stay behind the camera, the more I enjoy it simply because I'm, uh, yeah, like I'm coming up with a story. I'm making sense of what I want to say, how I want to say it, and executing it. And that brings you up to today. Well, tell us what a print model is. <laughs> a print model is, well, the uh, people that work in modeling full time, it's regarded as the business of rejection. So you show up to maybe 20 castings and 
you might book one of them and like you might, but usually it's like one in 20 to one in 50. That's, you know, kind of a rough average that a lot of people have, but yeah, like you show up and you just have to meet the client and learn how to tailor your brand, which is you walking into the room. Whereas, you know, if you're going for something like, um, what's it like craftsman tools, they, uh, they like my aesthetic because, you know, I'm like a masculine man, as comical as it sounds, I still have body hair, which most models, they, you know, from like sideburns down, they shave their body. But for me, it's like, you know, I still have body hair. So brands like Gillette shaving and craftsman tools, I actually appealed to them because of that <laughs> as weird as it sounds, but yeah. So you just have to make sense of what your market is, what your brand is, and then, you know, try and find out how you can separate yourself from within that, the group that you land in. So you're a self-taught actor. So tell us what that process was like and why you decided to be a self-taught actor versus, you know, maybe learning it in school or something. Oh, for acting, definitely have gone to school. I schooled for about six years in total. And yeah, when, so I was first introduced to acting in Florida, made sense that that was definitely something I wanted to pursue. So I moved to New York City and went to HB studio on the lower west side of Manhattan and study there. I even went to the Broadway dance center and, you know, I'm a, still a terrible dancer, but just to control my body and body movement that comes in play with acting more than what a lot of people would actually realize. So yeah. And as far as being self-taught, I would say the thing that I self-taught myself was I complimented my acting teacher's lessons on learning how to memorize the script. She taught me the gist of it, but then I got to the point that I began feeling comfortable going into an audition or walking on set. Once I was able to walk around the house and saw a Rubik's cube as I'm saying my lines. And I did that specifically because like uh, on TV, I'm not a big fan of just basic talking head stuff. So if you have a husband and wife having an argument near the dining room and kitchen, I'm like, well, can we maybe have the husband washing dishes or, you know, like give somebody an action, something that they can do as they're saying the lines. And to me, it just makes it, you know, it just adds a bit more realism to the scene. So that would be the self-taught thing from acting. So before you did your future feature film, you did 17 short films. So kind of tell us about those films. Of course. Yeah. So uh, back to modeling the same month that I wrapped up in being a print model. I also uh, received a, a photography camera for my birthday and I began taking very basic landscape pictures and then that evolved into documenting any location I go to by taking long exposure photographs to where it takes roughly like half an hour to take one one picture so hopefully you don't screw it up too much but yeah so that evolved into street photography random people doing random things and new york city is the place to be if you're into people watching so i was doing that and then i took a bunch of my pictures and turned it into kind of a slideshow and put some music to it and then once i moved out to los angeles I would go to acting school and then afterwards, instead of just trying to go out to 
some bar and drink and, you know, stuff like that. I would talk to people and say, Hey, you know, like if you want, uh, let's grab a six pack, head back to my place. I have a camera, a couple of lights. Let's just shoot a short film. Like I moved here to be creative and moved here for acting. So let's act. Let's just not go out and, you know, be stupid. So, uh, yeah, I, I began shooting short films in that fashion and every short film, like once I just completed a couple of them, I made sense what a powerful tool it is and didn't get hung up on my lack of gear or not being paid or lack of storyline essentially uh, because my, my intention was just to improve on the craft. So it turned into this dovetail of I would wake up my wife, she wakes a couple hours before I do. So I'm having breakfast without her as she's typically having a meeting and for years I would have YouTube in front of me watching tutorials on, on YouTube, like, you know, from season vets, like this is how you light a scene. This is a different way to light it. This is terminology and camera movement. This is why I'm choosing this lens over that one. Just basically anything you want to know from filmmaking, all of a sudden I was, you know, soaking it up. So for like, okay, for two months, I'm only going to focus on lighting and then i'm going to move into balancing audio and you know or something in post-production and so my short films turned into homework assignments uh, i'm still hanging out with my friends in the same fashion and just goofing off with them but as i'm lighting a scene i'm like oh i just watched this tutorial on using light to make it look midnight outside so let's put that into practice and shoot the short film but just you know keep that lesson in mind and try and execute on it. So doing that after, you know, four to five years of doing it, you know, some of the knowledge actually stuck with me and, you know, I got decent in some areas. Well, let's talk about your feature film, The Great Awakening. Tell us how that came about and tell us what you appreciate the most in making an independent film. Yeah. So what I appreciate most about making an indie film and specifically this one is the amount of freedom that I had with it. Every aspect of this was done on my terms. The story went wherever I wanted it to go. I had full control over casting. Like everything was my choice. And I very, like, I'm very grateful to have experienced that because I know as I scale up, that's when you're going to have, let's say, an executive producer willing to fund 80% of the movie, but their nephew wants to be on screen with, you know, this actor. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, how much of a compromise am I willing to make? And, you know, dealing with that. So, yeah, just retaining the ultimate level of creative freedom. Yeah, I'm very grateful that I experienced it with The Great Awakening. And what The Great Awakening is, it is my COVID movie without it being a COVID movie. Um, I made sense that everybody was going to, you know, do like their version of a, of a COVID movie. And the vast majority, I, I believe it's going to be a storyline around contracting the virus, or maybe the virus mutates you into a monster, or maybe lockdown is way too like mass enslavement of the human race, you know, stuff like that. For me, I was wanting to dig under the surface and, you know, be in the same ballpark, but do my own thing with it. 
And that's where uh, a documentary that changed my life comes into play. It's called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. And you have like the who's who of the horror community, uh, Wes Craven, George A. Romero, and other you know times of industry, all talking about how they examined society, got symbolic, kind of felt what was in the ether, you know, the, the overall feeling that a lot of people don't even acknowledge, but respond to. And they started making movies from that. So prime examples would be in the fifties, it's very close to post world war two. So a lot of horror movies had an apocalyptic atomic bomb type of theme to it. And then you can jump up to the sixties where now you have Woodstock, Summer of Love, a lot of uh, drug experimentations so on and so forth. And that's being thrust into culture. So horror movies took on the theme of maybe it's some drug-fueled crazy person that kidnaps daddy's little angel. And we get up to the 70s. And in the 70s, that's where you know the, the love ran out. Woodstock mentality was over. Now we have Vietnam, Watergate. And the country just has kind of a bad taste in its mouth. So that's where horror movies turn ultra-violent and enter in movies like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and movies, you know, along those lines. So I watched that documentary and just made sense of it where I'm like, oh, okay, so what does 2020 mean to me? Like, let's, you know, try and get more symbolic with it. So we have COVID is introduced, talking about lockdown. Then I'm hearing lockdowns actually going into effect, but going into effect all over the world. And now murder hornets are on the news for whatever reason. And then they vanished. And then after murder hornets, then you had the CIA, they released over 10,000 documents confirming all of their interactions with UFOs. And that was not even trending on social media. It was also a very turbulent election year and just everything that happened in 2020 i had no idea what was going to happen next so for me to summarize the year i would say uncertainty that would uncertainty would be my one word response so now that's that's my thread for my covid movie so my covid movie revolves around the emotion of uncertainty so as you watch it the story was created um, it was carried out on set, and then it was even accentuated in post-production in a manner that very deliberately puts the viewer into a state of uncertainty. Uh, so yeah, as you watch it, it's supposed to be weird. Things happen in a way that you comprehend what's happening, but the way I chose to deliver that scene, yeah, that's where I have fun with the viewer and you know, kind of do things that are a bit odd. So tell us how your film and what was it like being acquired by Film Hub and being put on multiple streaming platforms? Oh, yeah, it was um, a grand slam for sure. This was, you know, my first venture out into a longer length uh, project. Uh, yeah, so for me, the story I was wanting to tell and how the story turned out, yeah, course budget put a very low ceiling on me to where initially I was lying about the budget and was trying to come across like a big budget feature and said you know it was a $2,500 but in reality it was only $1,600 that that I had to shoot it with so with that 
being said, you know, there were certain parameters and, you know, back to that low ceiling that I had to deal with. But other than that, I'm happy with the way everything came out. And this movie, I was really wanting it to be a calling card to let people know that, hey, I've been very quietly working. Everybody knows me from being on camera, you know, print model and or acting, uh, so on and so forth. And on YouTube, I have, or at the time had around like 60 videos that I put up there. But I think if you go on to it now, you can only see maybe 10 of them. So it's something that, you know, I've kept pretty close to the chest until I felt like, okay, I'm confident that I know what I'm doing. So let's go out and, you know, let's have, let's have your work graded by people that don't know you, don't care about you and just see what happens. So on that note, to have, uh, to go through film hub and have it picked up by Tubi, I'm like, Hey, that's, that's spectacular. I honestly didn't really know what to expect. Everybody hopes for something big and hopes that it doesn't go lower, but you know, shaking hands with Tubi, I'm very happy to do that. And the reviews that have come in, that's honestly what put me over the moon because some people have been very complimentary of what the story is. But the thing that makes me truly happy is the common note on quote unquote negative feedback has been that they can tell I'm talented and it's obvious that I know what I'm doing, but the budget restricted me from really shooting the movie the way I want it to. And that's, it goes back to, you know, the purpose of this film existing is to let people know that I am serious, legitimate, and I'm ready to get to work. So once, you know, so I believe once people see it, somebody's going to say, Hey, let's bring him in, talk to him about, you know, directing this next one for us or give him money so he can properly shoot one of his 15 other feature film scripts. So talk about some of your big influences, like for us, actors, directors, stuff like that. Tell us about who influences you and who gets you up in the morning and makes you want to do what you do. Oh gosh. Directors. Yeah. There's just so, so many to choose from that. You know, I would be, um, you know, hurting if, if I didn't name them all, but you know, uh, people that, that make movies that, you know, have kind of a obscure weirdness about it, you know, like David Cronenberg, uh, if you check out his movies, one he's very popular for is uh, The Fly. So when you watch The Fly, that's a movie that, you know, has this, you know, weird uh, storyline to it. And when you watch it, the, you know, the, the prop people and the, just the way it's presented on screen, I'm like, it's, it's truly a gem. So, yeah, if you have people like him and David Lynch and so on and so forth, it's just... Yeah, so it's typically more of the less than happy. Although Mel Brooks and the Monty Python guys, yeah, it's like that definitely holds a very special place in my heart. Um, but the, the content that I catch myself watching the most usually goes into um, either a very dark drama or it's a straight up horror movie. But even in that realm, like, okay guy has a hockey mask and a machete running through the woods. I have an idea how this is going to play out. But if you can throw me a curveball, if you can do something weird that I'm not expecting, that's what's really going to jump out to me. 
So you went from being bullied in school to on the pages of GQ. So what advice could you give kids and other people who went through what you went through and their your way you're at now? Um, I I actually just had a a conversation with my cousin last night about this. So advice I would give to people who are being bullied in school is first off, you really have to make sense that they are very legitimately projecting. There is something happening in their life, making them less than happy and content with where they are in life. So they have to lash out aggressively at somebody else, you know, just as a coping thing within them. But with my cousin, he's, he's in his twenties now. And I told him you're, you're old enough and you're intelligent enough to where honestly, it's kind of on you at this point uh, in the sense that he, you know, keeps hanging around certain people that they're friends, but not really. And, you know, they give him a hard time and make fun of him and stuff like that. And I said, so this is what you have to do. You have to have a very direct conversation with them, not in the heat of the moment when they make fun of you and then you freak out on them and, you know, everybody thinks you're loose cannon, like talk to them face to face, tell them to stop. And if they don't, then that's somebody you really need to talk to yourself about if you need to have that person in your life at all. And because um, if you al- allow that person to stay in, then you can't really be surprised if they keep teasing you. And then if that friend introduces you to somebody else, that's you know like a like-minded person that's going to continue to make fun of you as well. For me, yeah, I've been hyper-athletic, but you know, picked on and bullied, uh, you know, all the all the way until I, I moved out of Indiana. Um, I was you know picked on and bullied by people I had grown up with, people that didn't really know me, and just all the sorts of stuff. Uh, but now it's just I have this mentality that I am an amazing person, and I'm saying that not not you know following it up with saying. I'm amazing because I was a print model or I made a movie. No, it's because I, I have people in my life that I look at them and look at the character of person that they are and how hyper intelligent and successful and just how, you know, they're firing on every cylinder and just being awesome in life. And these people are wanting to call me up and just see how I've been doing, take me out to lunch, you know, just catch up with me and, you know, just be friends. So for me, I'm like, if I have quality people like, like them wanting to be friends with me, you know, I certainly don't need to hang around with people that are not going to treat me right. So, you know, having, having good friends that, you know, love me and family that loves and cares for me, you know, that, that was a big thing, but yeah, for the people that feel like maybe they don't have that support structure, you know, it's just. Yeah, it goes back to it. They're projecting and you just can't let stuff get to you. So do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Um, So I am still kind of putting the Great Awakening to bed and making sure it's on services and the commercials are all in line and a few more things to tidy up. But after that, I do have a couple of scripts that I put at the top of my list that, you know, I'm wanting to fix the ending on one and then talk to somebody about this 
other project for funding. And then, you know, we will see which one comes first. We'll throw out your contact information, any websites, social media links, and most important of all, let people know how we can check out your short films as well as The Great Awakening. Sure. So to check out my short films, you can just go on YouTube. And if you just type in my name, but put Mr. in front of it, so M-R-B-O, so Mr. Bo Roberts, that will bring up my YouTube page where you can see you know, the quintessential, like no budget filmmaking in action. You'll have a chance to check that out. But also on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever I actually have an account, if you just type in Mr. Bo Roberts, then yeah, you will find me. And as far as Great Awakening, it is currently on Tubi, which is a free platform. So you can download it for free and you can begin watching this content for free. And, um, and if you do, Please and thank you. Reach out to me because I really want to know what people have to think of it. Uh, not only you like, but you know, if there's something you didn't like, feel free to send that to me as well. Because you know, I've been an athlete my entire life, so my mentality is: tell me what I need to know to improve. You know, sharpen my sword and just you know get better. So you know, I'm definitely not somebody that just needs a pat on the back. You know. Everything I do, it's like, yeah, but tell me something that, you know, I could have done better. And yeah, I'd say that's it. We'll close this out with some final thoughts. Maybe something that we didn't touch on that you would like to touch on or just any final thoughts for the listeners. A final thought, I would say the the process and the way that the stuff has all come together to where you're listening to me now. Uh, back to it. It started with literally a photography camera and a photography lens, and then a microphone built into the camera. That's all I used to make my first short film. I didn't, I didn't even have a light. So it was that, and I decided to make a rescue mission where a couple of my buddies were like army soldiers, and they were having to take out a bunch of evil stuffed animals. You know, So we put the stuffed animal right next to the camera so they looked life-size, and we just went with it. So... You know, we, uh, I started at that point and, you know, I just secured a distribution deal with a streaming platform I've actually heard of. And, um, yeah, so it's, you know, if, if there's something you want to do, you cannot be ashamed out of where you started, um, where you're at and where you're trying to go. Uh, cause you know, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to think about, but never in my life have I ever seen somebody that was quote unquote on a higher level than me that was bad talking me it's usually the haters or people that you know they're not doing anything they're not happy but they see you doing something or doing anything at all that's when they're gonna you know shoot up at you so you know it's just good perspective to have just go on go on about your business get to work if any naysayers come along you don't even have time to listen to it. Just keep on and trust me in, you know, two to five years, you'll be amazed at what you can do if you're, you know, if you're passionate and committed to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bo Roberts, be sure to check out the Great Awakening film and all of his 17 short films. Also, please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode after listening to as many people as possible. And once again, 
Check out The Great Awakening. Mr. Bo Roberts, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. Thanks for having me. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.